fury at his command. This is Democracy in Crisis. We're back, motherfuckers, and I'm Baynard Woods. <laughs> I'm Mark Steiner here for the Center for Emerging Media and the Mark Steiner Show. And uh, that was Tom Waits. Fire and the Fury, down in the hole. And we are coming to you live from down in the hole here today in a nuclear bunker. Back in the old days, we first were hiding under our desks. Have like, you ever been to a bunker? Like been turtles, I've never been until I've, now I've in a bunker, Mark, you? I've been, yeah, I've been in a bunker. So, I mean, but, but, I mean, does this mean, first, before we get serious here, that Donald Trump listens to Tom Waits? I mean... I can do Tom Waits. Fire in the hole. I'm going down there. But him? <laughs> I mean, or is he a fan of, of course, that was also the theme song of The Wire. It was was maybe he doesn't even know who Tom, because they did this other version, the Blind Boys of Alabama or right. whatever versions. Does is, is Donald Trump a wire watcher? Is that where he gets his ideas of what urban America is like? Fire and the Fury. I mean, so we're, we are coming uh, the day after Trump's comment. Uh, about the fire and bringing meeting any provocation from North Korea with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Then they uh, threaten Guam. So I feel like yesterday in my lifetime, having and I'm, I'm mid-40s, so I lived through the end of the Cold War, but in my lifetime we came yesterday closest to nuclear war any time in my life. Yours, I want to ask you about... <laughs> what are you trying to say, man? I want to ask you about Hiroshima, Mark. Back... <laughs> Your mother wants to ask about Hiroshima. Okay. <laughs> I... <laughs> but I, I do want to ask you about the Cuban Missile Crisis. So that was something well, that... Let me take you back a step further. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go. So let's talk about growing up in elementary school in the 1950s and duck and cover. When you knew the Russians were in attack. So they put your ass under the chair... Hold your head, duck and cover, put your, fold up your, under your ass and put your hand over your head and duck under your seats as if that was going to do something when you were hit by a nuclear bomb, right? So, so we all went out in the hallway and did that stuff. So you grew up knowing that mushroom cloud and you could be annihilated. That's how you grew up, right? That had an effect on a whole generation, my generation. And then comes 1961 and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I remember being in high school and we thought we were going to die. We thought we were going to be all drafted and go into the army, or we were all going to die because things were just going to blow up, and it was going to be done. And people were terrified. I mean, we all you know, made jokes about it because we were high school kids, but, but that was very real. And so the nuclear, nuclear threat has been, was real from the 1940s all the way to the 70s in a very serious way. Um, and so this is the first time. But the, here's the difference. The difference is, even though the notion of a, that kind of war is insane, you had relatively sane men in charge. And I mean men. You had relatively sane, sane men in charge. Now you've got a maniac in charge. Two. 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 Yeah, two maniacs. Yeah, two nuclear maniacs. And who have little nuclear toys to play with. And Trump, when he did this, he was at a conference to talk about opiate addiction. The paper in front of him was about opiate addiction. Had his arms folded and had that pursed look in his face like a, like a little spoiled boy from the Upper West Side or Upper East Side, where the hell he came from, and, and made this fire and fury statement. I mean, and it just off the cuff. I mean, a world leader doesn't off the cuff say, I'm going to blow your ass up. Yeah. I mean, 
That's the scariest part. They backpedaled. Tillerson's trying to backpedal. And you've got the, clearly the generals don't like Trump. For good reason with <laughs> stuff like this. I mean, what do you, you, and the same with the diplomats. So, I mean, Tillerson tries to backpedal a little bit, but Tillerson's for none of the goddamn spots that you need to have people who are seriously trying to de-escalate things like this. And, and the problem, one of the problems with Trump is he doesn't know how to de-escalate at all. He can only escalate. So where do we go from here? We've already dropped the, the mother of all bombs. <clears throat> you know, I mean, we're, we're barely six months in. Where, where do we go having nuclear threats within, within a six-month period, like nuclear threats this grave? I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's a very strange situation. I mean, here's a man with a button on his desk, the red phone, I mean, he can make a phone call to call the guy with the button. I don't, it's not that simple. But the fact that it's that close is terrifying in its lack of simplicity to me. And, and uh, you, you know, and here we are sitting, siding with the generals. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> When, because when would that happen? <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, you know, all of my, I mean, the majority of my buddies I know who went and fought in Nam and came back, they are losing their minds too. It's, you know, this is, it's insane. Uh, what are you going to say? I mean, and so the things that even this morning that, that Trump was, was tweeting about that he had spiffed up and uh, renovated our nuclear arsenal, which was actually an Obama-level thing, and it was better than ever. And then he says this, uh, hopefully we will never have to use this power, but there will never be a time when we are not the most powerful nation in the world. I mean, which just made me think so clearly of the line from the Shelley's poem, Ozymandias, look on my work, she mighty in despair, where Ozymandias thought, his empire would live forever, and then it's nothing but a ruin in the sand that a traveler from afar comes upon. Like, yes, there will be a time when we're not the most powerful nation in the world. Like, time is long, unless you blow us all the fuck up, and then time is short. <laughs> and the, the scary thing is that the, the, the people in South Korea are terrified. Is that Trump writing you on there now he is. telling you to Trump is chill telling us, out? They're yeah. coming for us next. Yeah. <laughs> Are you with that Bannard Woods? Is he high again? Just take his ass out of here. So <laughs> we need the medicinal more than ever. Bone <laughs> for every bomb shelter. But the 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 I mean, so you've got the people in South Korea are terrified. Um, China doesn't know what to make of this. Their statements are like, you know, he's threatening the world right now. Um, they, Japan, he, who Japan, the only people who have really felt the brunt of it, terrified. And at the same time, the United Nations passed the strongest resolution it ever passed to put sanctions on North Korea just the other day, and he's making this statement about fire and fury. Uh, you know, and his ratings among the people who support him stay as strong as ever. Stronger. I mean, this is what they want. This is the kind of... It's really South Carolina just then. <laughs> this, this is the idiotic rhetoric that people that I've known all my life in South Carolina would say, well, we have the nukes, why don't we use them? You know, and that kind of stuff, exactly that sort of rhetoric that, like, the drunk idiot at the bar says, 
is the way that he acts in the Oval Office. I mean, it the thing that keeps coming to my mind in, in Don DeLillo's novel Underworld, which is really about baseball and the nuclear bomb and the Internet, and it's, it's an amazing book. Um, but there's this long, long scene where he reconstructs this Lenny Bruce, both monologue and then internal monologue, happening during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it's a, it sort of obsessed me for years, and it, it really, like... In this moment, that's what I, I think about is is this sort of – I don't even think people could, could fathom except maybe on uh, the stage of this dark little small club what existentially what that was doing. You were talking about how it was affecting your generation, but like that wasn't able to come across in art immediately the next day except maybe in the stand-ups and stuff. But like right, right. how is this affecting us and our art and our – our existential, if we make it to produce anything else, the the way that, that kids who now are growing up, that we're going to come out of this again with this mass threat of, of just tremendous annihilation in, on top of us. But how long do we think this, this actually takes hold? I mean, because he does these things, and then we focus on it. And again, we keep focusing on the madness of his, um, of his reign. He's like King George III the mad king of England, right? And he really is a lot like that. Instead of focusing on what they're really doing, which is undermining our democracy. Right. I mean... Right? Because you know, I mean, I don't think the generals will let him get... If he told them to do that, I think some generals would go, no. You didn't give the right directive, just like they did with the trans, the, the transsexual... Um, announcement that he made, the general said, well, until you give us a real directive, this means nothing. Right? right? Um, I, I, I think he's like the most isolated president that ever existed in this country. That's, that's probably true. I mean, that's an interesting point, that even if he hit the button, it may not, uh, it may not happen. I mean, that, that... But even having to think that thought is... And yeah, depending on the general's, is I mean I'm really uncomfortable with the way the left is really valorizing the FBI about within the Russia stuff and valorizing what the right is calling the deep state, um, right? You know, and and I mean the, while they're nuts, there's some truth to this deep state shit too. That like, <laughs> you know, it, it's what Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex. Like that stuff is real as well. And so we're we're in such a weird, weird moment with, with this. Speaking of the, the far right, man, yeah. I'm going on Saturday. And speaking of, of this, maybe this will make me want the damn bomb to come. Where are you going um, Saturday? To Charlottesville, to the Unite the Right, uh, far right, fucking rally. I mean, you look at their sign and it's got like Nazi eagles up here, Confederate flags down there. It's Richard Spencer. It's this stupid goof baked Alaska. Um, it's all of the, the, the proud boys, the based stick man, all of the sort of worst of the worst of the, the really sort of neo-Nazi right is gathering at Lee Park in Charlottesville to protest moving Confederate monuments. And Antifa and the left is coming to challenge it there. So it's going to be a really interesting uh, an interesting weekend on on the ground as well. So we'll be coming back with that, uh, with reports from that next week. Let's hope the left is ready because, you know, you, you remember what happened when um, uh, 
the young people in black run the streets in San Francisco and they were met by the right wing when they came down there. Right, they kicked right. their ass. Yeah, I mean... I mean, people... You see, this is not a game. You know, I mean, you can play ba- bad when you're wearing black, but when you confront real bad, and these boys are real bad. Some of them are play, but a lot of these guys... People don't realize this. These guys who are armed and right-wing and country boy rednecks. I don't mean that pejoratively. I shouldn't have said it that way, but they're some bad boys. They don't mind thumping. You know, they will fight you all day long. And you come down there with your little college self thinking you're all tough, and you confront those guys, you get your ass kicked. So I'm saying, so the left is like, if you play the game, you better be prepared to play the game. Right. And I'm not so sure... <laughs> <laughs> that some folks are prepared to play that game. I, I agree. I mean, it's a, and I, I think, I mean, I don't think that there's a left contingent going there looking for physical conflict in a way that there is the Proud Boys and the, the based stick man, but maybe. And I mean, you, you, and I've noticed those guys stay away, those right wing guys, they stay away from places like Baltimore. Where they don't want to get their ass kicked. No, there would be a fight in the street here. Yeah, they'd get their asses <laughs> stomped. But and, and South Carolina is an open carry state, right? Oh, well, it's Virginia, uh, but it's an open carry state. But maybe not on the campus because it's oh, but it's not on the campus actually. So yeah, yeah. You it's know, gonna, I just came back from Tennessee and watching cats fly down the road on their motorcycles with with the sidearms, right? Yeah, I was coming back from Memphis, so. And I'm just saying, I'm just, you know, I, th- I think that people need to confront stuff, but people have to think about what they're confronting. This is not a game if you're confronting armed men who are violent. You know, this is that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, all. for right. sure. I mean, like like you were mentioning, and, and although I think this is in Portland rather than San Francisco, but this that one uh, neo-Nazi guy punched that woman, like, and they right. all got him filmed. Like, there's just, uh, yeah, there there is violence you know, it's it's like the uh, gimme shelter. It's it's everything feels like we're on the verge of of only a shot away from from something. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Let's hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm I'm gonna bring us back to our our maybe to close go, out. Go back to our tragedy. This is a uh, this is William Faulkner on uh, when he won the Nobel Peace Prize, and uh, he says. Our tra- prize for literature. I mean, literature, literature. prize. I'm sorry, the Nobel Prize for Literature, and, and I think in like '61. Yeah, right. When I think he won. Right, right. Our tragedy today is a general and universal physical fear so long sustained by now that we can even bear it. There are no longer problems of the spirit. There is only the question: When will I be blown up? Because of this, the young man or woman writing today has forgotten the problems of the human heart in conflict with itself which alone can make good writing because only that is worth writing about, worth the agony and the sweat. And then he goes on for a little while and he says, I decline to accept, and this will be sort of sexist uh, terminology with man and stuff, but I decline to accept the end of man. It is easy enough to see that man is immortal simply because he will endure. That when the last ding-dong of doom has clanged and faded from the last worthless rock hanging tideless in the last red and dying evening, that even then there will still be one more sound, that of his puny, inexhaustible voice still talking. And this is, so he got this in 1949. Ah. Which is this. Early, yeah. Just four years after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
Right. So, and, I mean, and he said so long sustained now, but it's only been four years. Right. When, when, when the threat of nuclear war was really, really strong still. Right. And the anti-communist rhetoric was heating up. So. I think we got a new nickname for Trump out of that, though. What's that? The last ding dong of doom. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we are back, folks, every week here with the Democracy in Crisis podcast. We're, We're delighted to be back. We had a couple of rough weeks. You notice we're not saying the Mark Steiner show anymore. Well, the show is happening, but it's a podcast now. Right. So we, we got kicked off the air. Our home paper, the city paper, is got its death sentence announced. Uh, but we had the AAN conference of, of alt-weekly papers. There's a big sort of movement rising within these papers to come back up again. A big movement within us to sort of get all of this stuff out there. So we're back and we're better than ever. And uh, <laughs> we're going to keep coming at you every week live through the, the casting um, of the pods. <laughs> and I'm Mark Steiner here for the Center for Emerging Media and the Mark Steiner Show, podcasting at steinershow.org or your favorite podcasting place. In solidarity for hope for the future. And I'm Baynard Woods, and this is Democracy in Crisis, and much love, and maybe slightly less grim solidarity. <laughs> See y'all fuckers next time. See y'all. <laughs>